everybody, and welcome back to another Jew and Gentile podcast. Steve, we're back. Hi, we're back. I don't know if better than ever, but we're back. We're back, and we're better than ever, I'll say. We've got Steve Herzig, the sage himself, the Jewish sage. I'm glad to... I'm telling you, the weeks are flying by. I feel like we just were here yesterday. Well, you had a slow motion, what, a couple days ago, waking up because of Levi? Oh, yeah. Uh, Not feeling too good, huh? No, my son wasn't feeling good, so uh, we just had... It's busy. It's a busy time, but that's okay. We're back in the podcast. We've got a great episode lined up for you, but before we get to that here we go welcome in welcome in hey uh thanks for uh coming back to the jew and gentile podcast steve before we even get started before you say a word can i just tell our listeners if you're listening on apple i was just thinking about this if you're listening on apple or any podcast opportunity or even if you're watching on youtube or facebook would you comment on our podcast you know when you comment and you say, hey, these crazy guys, well, I don't know, whatever you want to say, you know, uh, it actually helps to move our ratings up. So if you think other people need to hear about the Jew and Gentile podcast. You mean other than the six we have? Other than the six we have. Oh, people love this. They they <laughs> love. I get it all the time. People text me. I'm number seven. I'm number six. We're stopping at seven. We're not adding any more. OK, <laughs> but uh, go on. Go on to Apple. Go on to whatever it is that you're. How you ever you're you're listening to the Jew and Gentile podcast, and be sure to rate us. It helps move us up the ranks. Uh, we really appreciate it. Well, but go ahead, but, Steve. But Chris, we asked last month for some folks to help us. Yes, we did. And uh, I think we they're entitled to have a report uh, of what took place. That was a first for us. That's uh, right. We've been podcasting for quite a bit. Uh, we do this as part of our ministry of Equip, and we're going to talk about that. And it's a joy. It's part of who Friends of Israel is. But we'd be remiss to say starting up a podcast like this took equipment and all kinds of stuff, which the Lord has provided. But we decided, hey, let's see if our listeners would like to really partner with us, really be partners. Mm-hmm. And I know there's people who listen. Uh, they tell me. I'm traveling around, and there's people who say, hey, I was just with my nephew. He said... I listen all the time. He said, I hear it. I play it again. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Once is enough already. <laughs> well, it's funny that you say that because sometimes, like, I'll, I'll travel and speak at a church or whatever, and people will say, Oh, I heard you on the Jew and Gentile podcast. And I say, Are you sure it's the Jew and Gentile podcast that we're on? You know, so though, we, for our listeners, uh, I, I, we mentioned it last week, but we met our $10,000 goal to help us not only with the podcast to help advance the podcast and to help keep it going, but it also helped FOI equip to continue teaching. Tonight, we're going to have our very first class of 2023. I'm excited. That's right. And then also to help our future interns that are going to be coming. We had our interns of 2022, and now we're going to be lining up a group of interns for 2023. Hey, maybe if you're listening, you want to be an intern. Uh, you know, Be sure to reach out. You can find us at foiequip.org, and there's a Say Shalom section. Or it's right in. Let us know what you think. Let what, us know. Say shalom. Yeah. I, I miss that. Tell, tell me about I've never seen that. Yeah. So you go to foiequip.org and people can write into us. They go down and there's a little section that people can write something to us in our Say Shalom section of, uh, of so our these FOI can be Equip equipper, website. Equippers as well. Equippers can write. Anybody can write in. And so the greatest way to get in contact with us is through our Say Shalom 
section. I love. Who named that? I have no idea, but I like it. <laughs> Say shalom. I like it. It was our web development team, and so, in fact, in a couple of, hopefully, in a couple episodes or so, we're gonna have uh, um, our vice president of. Of Friends of Israel, Steve Conover, executive. Ex- sorry, excuse me, executive vice president Steve Conover, and, and also the director of web development, uh, web development, um, and uh, and helps with the radio program, Tom Galeonon, and hopefully talking about the things that they're doing in Friends of Israel. They media actually department. help support equip in a sense because they put pages together which has our equip page exactly so hey listen really quick before we dive in um uh as you know foi equip sponsors the jew and gentile podcast tonight uh we have a great class that's going to be launching our courses for 2023 we have the tabernacle with dan price steve i'm pretty excited about that dan price is the assistant uh, director to international ministries uh, we have workers all around the world. Uh, Dan has served as a pastor for over 20 years, uh, part of which was in Philadelphia, the yep. city of Philadelphia. Has a young family like you. Yep, uh, four kids. Loves the Jewish people in Israel, and we're excited that he'll be uh, walking us through the tabernacle. Undoubtedly, uh, if anyone's interested in studying that, one of the great books that has been around quite a while is written by David Levy mm-hmm. on the Tabernacle, a book that uh, is used in a number of Bible colleges and seminaries uh, and really goes in-depth. But uh, this is not the kind of class that you have to be a scholar. Uh, D- Dan Price will take care of that. It's going to be something that we'll all be able to understand and walk us through and the practical application. Well, and I even got a taste of his notes as well, <laughs> and uh, and they're phenomenal, and I'm thinking I'm, I'm going to learn some great stuff tonight. And so it's going to be a great a great course, uh, Dan Price, that starts tonight, January 12th, 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. You can register whenever you want. You don't have to come to the first class. You can come to the last class. There's three classes. It, we, it's all free. It's we, my kind of school. It, I wish I could have gone to school like that. You want to come? Come. You don't want to come? Ah, don't come. Catch up with us later. We're on rerun. <laughs> that's, that's right. You know, it's it, we're, we're trying to push back the rising cost of college debt by offering free classes. So anyway, come foiequip.org. Uh, you can find the class there. Register. Uh, we've already got 500 plus people, Steve, who have registered for the class. So That's exciting. Very, That's exciting. very exciting. Uh, Steve, you have a Did You Know Out. I did. Uh, I was going to do it for the... Uh, um, oh, did my jump in the gun? You did. But you know what? Let's go with the flow. Okay, good. So... Good. Uh, you know, we've done lit Yiddish. Uh, we do a Yiddish word of the day. And we're also promoting Emily Stone. <laughs> I, we got to get her on. <laughs> I haven't even looked her up. Uh, I've had this book a long time. Just the title alone makes me laugh. Did J-E-W know? Did you know? <laughs> Did you know? And we've we, had people buy the book who listened to the We've actually podcast. had people who said, hey, I picked that book up. I've been enjoying perusing. It's not the kind of book you read from cover to cover, you kind of look through. Mm-hmm. And Yiddish, we do Yiddish all the time. So, uh, not so, and this is really helpful. Not so long ago, less than a century, an estimated 11 to 13 million of the world's 18 million or so Jews spoke Yiddish. Uh, Chris, we're not even back at 18 million. No. We're I not. Mean, 18 million Jews, and we're at 15 that, million or so. We're, because Jewish of people the globally. Holocaust, we were down to 12 after the Holocaust, and uh, that was all, you know, end of the Holocaust was 1945, and we're at about 
it depends who you see. 14 million, 11 million, 12 million, mm-hmm. but but not anywhere near 18 million. But it says uh uh 18 million or so Jews spoke Yiddish. That is until the Holocaust systematically wiped out around 85% of the world's Yiddish speakers. That's mind-blowing. Although some would survive the war, assimilation in new homelands such as Soviet Union, United States, Canada, and Israel also contributed inest, inest, inestimable, inestimable, <laughs> inestimable, say it, inestimable, 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 inestimable. <laughs> this is the Jew and the Gentile podcast. We we're not, not an, we're not an educated group. Here. Right, that's for, <laughs> to the language continued decline. So new Liven up your lackluster communique and curses with some Yiddish words and expressions sure to shock your bubby. (laughs) Delight your zady and or hopefully guarantee a stupfest to end all stupfests with your, with your, oh, this is good. With your Jew boo? I have, oh, uh, a boyfriend or girlfriend. Oh, okay. (laughs) Jew boo. I, I, I didn't know. You got to be careful, I guess, what you read. I'm telling you, it's a tongue twister. That's it, all I'm going to say. Yeah. Uh, Emily, we're thankful for yeah, you. Uh, making me look more foolish than I really am. <laughs> Jew boo. And that's going far. That's right. All right. So uh, that was Did You Know, uh, a great book. Let's for- get serious here, Chris, uh, and start <laughs> off by saying, uh, everybody sing, please. That sounds Pretty lovely. Everybody sing, please. That sounds pretty lovely. That are those are the seven churches. So we're at the sounds of the uh, of that acronym. Uh, everybody sing, please. That sounds pretty lovely. That's right, Sardis. So, so we're at Sardis. Let me read if I can, Chris. I, I, give me another shot since I couldn't read that book. Hopefully, I'll be able to read the Bible. And Steve, for our listeners who might be tuning in for the very first time, greetings, hello, shalom. Um, th- we're in the book of Revelation right now. We're going through it. And Steve, what did you say? Uh, we got to get out of the churches. Is we, that what you- yeah, we've been in the churches a while. Uh, and, you know, we got a whole book here. And, and uh, We got to get out of the churches. <laughs> we got to get out of the churches. I love it. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Mm. Let's stop right there, Chris. Uh, You know, a long time ago when I first started in the ministry, there was a a person with Friends of Israel who was much more experienced and older than me. And he said, one of the things that's going to happen to you when you go in some church buildings. Remember, the church is not a building. It's people. People who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ are the church. They happen to meet in different buildings. In the United States, we always say, I'm going to church. But he said, you're going to go to some churches, and you're going to know that even though the people are there, they're meeting, they have singing, they have Sunday school, you're going to sense that the church is dead. Doesn't mean the that, that, that everybody there is is not a believer. It's just that the life the, 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 the life has gone out from it, that they're going through the motions, that they're and, and he said, you've got to preach to them and do what you're called to do, but you're going to, in your spirit, recognize that 
they're, they, they should close their doors. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, it does, hasn't happened often, but I don't know if you've ever experienced walking into a place where you say, man, they're, they're just, it just seems like this is what they it's do. It's a routine. It's a routine. Can I say, too, when I, when I read through this, um, what struck me is, I, you know, you've been bringing up this as we've been studying through the churches, is that Jesus knows. He knows. He knows. And you know what? It, a thing about uh, that, that struck me when I read through this is that you can't fake it with Jesus. You can fake it with a lot of people in life. You can fake it till you make it. That was something I heard, you know, uh, in college and whatnot. You can fake it as long as you can. But here, Jesus, he, you can't fake it with Jesus. He, he says, you have a reputation for being alive, which means people looked at them. Um, my text uses the word, yours says name. Uh, my translation used name and said, because uh, a name is a reputation. You have a reputation for being alive. People see you and they go, look at that guy over there. He's, look at, they've got it together. They're alive. They're thriving. Look at them. They're in shape, all those things. But Jesus knows that on the inside, they're dead. And, and it's not even like, you know, you're almost alive. It's like, no, he's, there's a stark contrast. Inside, you're dead, which struck me to think, you know, Chris, you know, when I think about my own life, I'm thinking, you know, there, there's a way that you, everybody has a, out the way they present themselves. But inside, Lord, what am, I, what am I doing? Am I alive for you? And what would Jesus say about me? That's, you know, what I'm thinking. And so he knows, and so you just can't, you can't fake it till you make it, because Jesus knows. Amen. Amen. And so uh, it says in verse 2, he's going to encourage them, be watchful, strengthen the things which remain that are, uh, that are ready to die for. I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you were received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you at a time you do not know that, that what hour I will come upon you. So he's encouraging them to do a few things. Uh, he's telling them they're dead, and he's telling them, hey, you need to be watchful. Renewal, the idea of being renewed, strengthen what remains. Get back to the basics. You know, Chris, you were just saying, hey, I sometimes I analyze my own life. I, I, this has happened frequently to me where I said, I just got to get back to the basics. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I've been going here, going there, just back to the basic, basics of the Scripture, prayer, and, and, and doing what I need to do for Him. Mm. Uh, alignment. Your tires have to be aligned. Mm-hmm. And our car, it gets offline. We need to... He's telling them you're offline. You're dead. Yeah, you got to get online. And the way that you do that, which I think is even you know, because I have felt the same way as you. And you know where my first inclination is is it, I just go, I'm sorry, Lord. I repent, Lord. I'm sorry. I'm sorry for which for, is included in the text. That's here. exactly right because it all starts with them recognizing, you know, as Jesus is saying, He's revealing it to them. Hey, you have gone off track. You have a reputation, which means you people think one thing, but I know, I know you. And so, where does it all begin? It begins by saying, Lord, I'm sorry, and I want to be alive. I want to be alive in you, not dead. You and know, so, you just had a key word there, and I I'd like you to explain that word recognize how do you recognize how do you, when mm. when when you had that when you had when you recognize how did that come about reflection is there a time of being alone how, how did that happen how did you recognize when you're out of line you know when you're um 
this is a great question. I'm, I'm trying to formulate it, but I'm thinking in the sense God wants a relationship with us. And I believe I, I have this conversation with my neighbor all the time. And my neighbor, he says, uh, you know, God is not relational. He's not a relational God. That's what he says to me. And I always argue, I think you're totally wrong. The whole Bible is about the fact that God came down and wants to have a relate, and he's been fighting to have a relationship with us. He wants to have a relationship. But you can sense when you have a relationship with somebody, even on a, on a, on a human level, that things are off. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe a conversation you had isn't the, the conversation, you, you didn't go well, or maybe you feel a little tension or something like that. I actually feel as though because of the Spirit of God dwelling within me, it's the Spirit of God working in me, and I begin to recognize, Steve, things don't, f- they, not that I think having a relationship with God is a feeling, but I feel off in the sense that I'm not in tune with what God wants me to be doing. And that's why I agree with you, going back to the basics, just opening the Scripture, praying, and, you know, I'll go to the Psalms, a great, you know, and and kind of heed to the words of David, um, because I feel like he had gone off track, and God had the ability to, he had to repent, and God forgave him and, and brought him back, you know, and, and, and forgave him, and through his grace, reconciled with, with, with David. But it, that's the kind of thing that I think happens is there is a genuine feeling or or maybe someone speaks something, speaks some word. I'm listening on the radio to some Bible teacher or uh, in church, uh, a pastor says something and I go, man, I'm off. I'm way off. So there's a lot of different ways I think it happens, but that's that's what I do. Well, you know, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and they had issues in the church in Corinth, but here's what he said, examine yourself, examine yourself to see if you're in the household of faith. Mm. Uh, oftentimes that's associated with communion, uh, which different church groups have at different times. At the particular church that I attend, it's every week, and we have a quiet time of reflection uh, before we take the elements. And repentance is in the context here, and certainly before you take the elements, you're going to want to confess your sins because he is faithful and just to forgive your sins. And remember, he's talking to the church at Sardis who's dead. Yep. They're dead. Uh, and if you're physically alive but dead spiritually, you've got to have that time where you recognize, I'm, as you said, I'm off. Off could be as large as I'm not a Christian, not mm-hmm. in your sense, but off, mm-hmm. being way off. I'm dead to the point where you're, you, you are a believer. You've trusted Christ. You are alive but you've gone off the path. And so by reflecting, by examining, taking, taking um, your life for the past uh, whatever it is before you last repented, mm-hmm. uh, and just saying, coming to God and confessing your sins, coming back. Uh, because in the text here, he's going to talk about being an overcomer. Well, how can you overcome unless, unless you have that ability to do so. And the only way to have that is once you tell God what he already knows about us. And then through this power of the Spirit, you can overcome your being off. Yeah, and I also think it's a good—this word, the idea of having a reputation of being alive, but you are dead, it shows you're not being honest with others. And that's the whole point of, of fellowshipping with believers, is having a group of people or an individual or somebody in your life that it that does know you that does understand you that that you can confess your sins to and trust I don't I'm not saying go do it to everybody I'm saying but that there's an honest relationship there so that you can 
somebody can go, oh, I, you know, oh, I thought this guy was like this, but at least he knows who you are or she knows, and they can pray for you and be the one to go, just like Nathan was to David, Steve, the mm-hmm. prophet Nathan. All Nathan had to do was say one story, and it frustrated David so much, and he goes, you are that man. Boom. That's it. All of a sudden, David knew what God was doing in his life. So anyway, uh, something to think about. Why there. don't you read uh, starting in verse 4 and finish it off the uh, Sardis? It says, yeah, uh, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me, dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that that name before my Father and his angels. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, again, I love this. Sometimes we just always lump the churches together because we always want to get to the prophecy of Revelation. But there is prophecy built right into each of these epistles to each of the churches, these small epistles that that uh, are getting sent out. Um, and it's this, is that, look, it says, if you'll walk with me, you'll be dressed in white, for they are worthy. The one who is victorious will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life. That's all prophecy. That's eschatological. But the, acknowledge that name before my Father and his, and his angels. So just, again, a great picture of how God wants us to be. But even even so, we are justified now. God sees us as white, clothed in white, because of the work that Jesus Christ did. Yep, so this is uh, sing, and now we got to go to please. Everybody sing please. That sounds, oh, yeah, sounds pretty. Uh, so now we're pretty. Pretty. Right? Pretty. Philadelphia. Hey, we know Philadelphia, Steve. Yeah, we, uh, well, you, you know it better than I do. I've been, I was just downtown last weekend and uh, took my wife out to dinner downtown. Where, where did you nice. go? Uh, we went to a little French place. Nice. Actually. She's uh, she loves French things. So Philadelphia. The w- when I first moved here, the person uh, Fred Hartman was my boss, and he was retiring, uh, and he called Philadelphia the city of brotherly shove. That's <laughs> what a, I came from Chicago, the windy city, yeah. <laughs> and now I'm coming to Philadelphia. So I love Philadelphia, the city of brotherly shove, or the city of brotherly love, and uh, you know it's we like to get with the train that takes people from New Jersey into Philadelphia runs it is our backyard. I mean it's right there. So sometimes we take the train in. It's a good time. But so the name for Philadelphia, which is where our country was founded, uh, the United States, is rooted in this the city of Philadelphia here, and so. Uh, the 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 name itself. Uh, so it says this in verse seven to the angel of the church in Philadelphia. Right, these are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. Oh, that's a good one. A good one, Steve. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are of the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars, I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that you, that I have loved you, since you have kept my command to endure patiently. I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come on the whole world to test the inhabitants of the earth, or the yeah of the earth. Well, there's a lot here. Uh, remember again, I know. So he's writing. These are all little epistles. All little letters going around that those churches in the area, and now he's talking about Philadelphia, uh, and they're the faithful church. Things things aren't always going well for them uh, environmentally, but they're a faithful church. And he's saying, 
listen who's talking to you, the one who's holy and true. You know, Jesus said, and and Chris, when Jesus said these words in John 14, it brings me, as soon as I think about them, from a Jewish point of view, they're very, very hard to take. Jesus said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life, and no one comes to the Father except by me. Now, he's, he's the author of these letters, and he's saying, I'm the one who's holy, and I'm the one who's true. And isn't it interesting, in Revelation chapter 19, one of his names when he comes back is true. Mm-hmm. True. What, what is the great philosophical question of the ages has been, what is truth? What is truth, yeah. What is truth? Um, how do we know? Uh, it's he said, she said. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a fair question to ask, but <laughs> the, the author of these letters is saying, I'm true. I'm true. That's right. I'm true. Um, the thing that's interesting when I when I read this too, I, I want to start with this is because there's a there's a messianic title that's that's wrapped up into this. These are the words of him that are holy and true, who holds the key of David. You know that is such a powerful title. To hold the key of David means you hold the key of the kingdom. Jesus is the one who's able to open uh, the the door to allow the kingdom of God to come. Um, and it's something that we are waiting to happen, that Jesus would return and and bring the kingdom to earth. Just as uh, he prayed, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that there is this link between heaven and earth, that the, the kingdom of God that's in heaven, where, you know, his, his presence is, would come to earth. In fact, the earth is called the footstool. Of the throne of God, the fact that God's feet would rest on the footstool, but His throne, of course, is in heaven. There's a there's a link there. The link is in Jerusalem, but it's Jesus is the is, is the one with the key to connect this. And I love what He says. He says, "What He opens, no one can shut, and what He shuts, no one can open." And so it's the idea of whatever is bound in heaven is you know Jesus has the authority to be able to make these things happen. Because it's he has he is the son of David, the fulfillment of what God had promised to King David in Second Samuel chapter seven verse fourteen. So I love that he uses this title because it's a title of authority and and uh, messianic reign. It's very interesting. And he talks about keeping my word. He's commending them to you have kept my word and have not denied my name. That's that that's a real test in persecution. Mm-hmm. Uh, when when people believers experience those kinds of things, we're gonna we're gonna talk a little bit about persecution in the news uh, and and things that are happening currently. And here here's persecution here, but they've kept his word. This is what it says as a follow up. Jesus says, "I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have, so that no one will take your crown." The one who is victorious or overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will they leave it. I will write on them the name of my God, the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from God. And I will also write on them my, uh, my new name. Who has, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, that prophetic component, Steve, 
that those who endure, those who, as he says earlier to them, endure patiently, wait patiently, they overcome the world. Essentially, they don't let the world gobble them up. Uh, they stay true which uh, uh, to, the, to the Word of God. He's saying these things will be given to you uh, prophetically in the future. So what you're experiencing now, again, this becomes very important because this defines, I think, a lot of what the epistles teach and a lot of what Jesus taught and the apostles taught, which is you're suffering now, life is hard, it is difficult to be a Christian, it's not getting easier to be a Christian in the culture that we live in, but endure patiently because there is a hope that is coming. And Jesus says it right there in verse 11, I am coming soon, the hope that we have as we wait patiently. And he's talking about a new Jerusalem. Yeah. Uh, a new Jerusalem. The, the, the city of Jerusalem, it's the holy city, it's the place... Uh, that the temple, tabern- we're going to talk about the tabernacle tonight, Dan Price's, it's located what we call now the Temple Mount, uh, Mount Moriah, where Abraham, at some place around Mount Moriah, was ready to offer up his son. Uh, but there's going to be a new Jerusalem. And, of course, we read about that later at the end of the book. It's, yep. it's Reve- The book of Revelation, where God's revealing the apocalypse. Here we have al- allusions here that are going to be later seen in the book. The mm. new, and he's talking about uh, where, where it says, uh, and he shall go out no more. I'll write on him my, the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from heaven. Mm-hmm. That's something that the church looked forward to 2,000 years ago in Philadelphia. And the church in there are churches in Philadelphia who are still looking forward For, to it. I'm coming soon, he says, and those words still apply to this very day. Amen and amen. All right, so Steve, we got one more church. That We've made it. Pretty, We've made it. Pretty lovely. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> lovely. Laodicea. Why don't you take it, Steve? Okay, and the angel of the church of Laodiceans writes, These things, the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God, I know your works, he says, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were either cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say I'm rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, Mm. miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich uh, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him, and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Chris, I know you have a note that was you. we read it before we came on. Mm-hmm. I think it's really helpful. Why don't you read that? Yeah, this actually comes from the notes in the Net Bible, which is the New English translation. They do a fantastic job um, of providing some notes. And so this one gives, a, a, I think, a, the best definition of what it means when, when Jesus is talking about the lukewarm water. You're neither hot nor cold. Um, and so this is a great... Uh, 
historical background to why Jesus would say that for Laodicea, and it says this, Laodicea was near two other towns, each of which had a unique water source. To the north was Hierapolis, which had a natural hot spring, often used for medicinal purposes. To the east was Colossae, which had cold, pure water. In contrast to these towns, Laodicea had no permanent supply of good water. Efforts to pipe water to the city from nearby springs were successful, but it would arrive lukewarm. The metaphor in the text is not meant to relate spiritual fervor to temperature, like your hot, you know, your 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 the heat or the hotness of the water means you're you're Passionate. hot for God, yeah. 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 Uh, but then the cold means you're 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 not for God at all. That's not the idea. Uh, this would mean that Laodicea would be commended for being spiritually cold, but it's unlikely that God or that Jesus would commend this. Instead, the metaphor con- uh, condemns Laodicea for not providing spiritual healing, being hot, like the medicinal purposes of that hot water, or spiritual refreshment, being cold to those around around them. It is a condemnation, a condemnation of their lack of works and lack of of witness. I thought that was a great example of why Jesus would say this. Uh, neither You want to be the extremes on either side. You want to be hot. You want to be cold. You want to provide the healing that God brings through the work of Jesus Christ, the, the spiritual healing, and you also want to provide the refreshment spiritually that Jesus provides, hot and cold. But when it comes in lukewarm, Jesus is saying, you're doing bupkis. It's not helping anybody here. And that's true. And you know, in this contained in these passages to the church at Laodicea comes another verse that is often misunderstood and sometimes misused, but I can understand it was used with me. I remember uh, when someone quoted that verse to me, why don't you read that verse to us found in verse 20? Yeah, it says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So he, so he's saying, I'm standing at the door to the lukewarm church at Laodicea who's not offering refreshment or healing, but he's saying, let me in. Yeah, I, I Let me in so that you will accomplish what you can I'm standing, I'm outside. When I first heard it, Chris, uh, it was really after I became a believer already, uh, as teaching me, this is what you stand, you tell somebody who doesn't know the Lord. And it, the Lord could use it and has used it with people. But the context here is not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to the church the, who are believers. And he's saying, Church at Laodicea. <laughs> Hello? Yeah, hello. Anybody home? Uh, let me in. And mm-hmm. and so when you take the combination of verse 20 with the metaphor uh, understanding that was provided by that net Bible, we understand, hey, Jesus is standing there waiting to help to, to allow his people to be encouraging, to be refreshing as they are faithful to him, and to also be healing. And in between, sandwiched in between, what does he say? Repent. Mm-hmm. He's saying repent. Repent and, means I'm going to open the door. Exactly. That's what it means. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous mm-hmm. and repent. Notice they're both, because my people have a reputation of being zealous. Repentance is a weakness for most of our people. <laughs> uh and it's a, by the way, it's not a Jewish problem. No, it's not. It's a human problem. It's a human problem. But but no question about it, be zealous and repent. 
Let's be zealous for the Lord and come to him. Can I can I follow up here with this too? I like this. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. Whoever has ears, let them uh, hear what the Spirit says to the churches. You know, the the idea that I, I always think about is that uh, my, my mind goes to Philippians chapter 2, where, you know, Jesus presents himself as the one who's sitting on the throne at the right hand of the Father here in, in, in Revelation chapter 3 with Laodicea. But it actually took suffering in order for his, for his exaltation. And that's the picture that we get from Philippians chapter 2. And, and Paul says this, and I'm going to go there really quick just so that I can um, read it and not mess it up because it's so important. But in Philippians chapter 2, this is often called the emptying passage or the kenosis passage, where Paul says you have to have this mind of Christ. You have to think like Christ is a believer. You got you to gotta imitate him. And in imitating him, Paul says, let me tell you what he did. He, uh, uh, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That means he didn't take his inheritance and squander it. He didn't take the thing that, you know, you would think, oh man, this guy's sitting next to, to, to God. He's a part of the Godhead. He, you know, he actually, it says right here, he didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, which means he empties himself. He He's thinking about other people, not just himself. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on a, the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself, becoming obedient, and not just obedient to the Father, but becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, this is the, this is the crux, all of the suffering that he went through, and we know the suffering, you just have to read about it in the end of the Gospels, the suffering that he went through as an innocent, uh, as, as an innocent individual, as an in- innocent man, God-man, innocent. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And the idea that you, I see here is that Jesus connects with us, and he, under, you know, he stands at the door knocking, but he connects with us as well because he isn't just some you know, a God that sits in, in the pantheon of gods and says, I'm up here, you're down there. No, he actually did come down, Steve, and he did engage with us, and he did suffer as we suffer, and he does understand, as he's speaking truth into all of these churches, uh, and he's speaking uh, about what they're going through and the fact that I know you, you know, one of the reasons he knows us is because he's omniscient, he knows everything, but also he experienced what it meant to be human uh, at, when he came to earth, he understands everything. And in his suffering, that's where God exalts him. And I think here at the end of Revelation with these churches, Jesus is ultimately saying, in the same suffering you're going to experience, there will be an exaltation for you as Glory. well. Yep. You know, the best way to end this is the way it ends at the end of the lukewarm church, Laodicea. It, it ends in each of those small epistles, uh, the seven churches. It says, he who has an ear... Uh, well, unless something happens, everybody, almost everybody has an ear. Let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So mm-hmm. I would say, uh, as we briefly, uh, although a long time from a podcast, <laughs> but briefly covered, there's so much in these seven churches. 100%. But he who has an ear, let him hear to what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen 
and amen. A great study going through the churches, a great study, and one that we should review from time to time and ask ourselves, which church am I? Mm-hmm. Oh, I might be multiple churches. We could, yeah, we could. <laughs> I see be, myself in all of them. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Steve, uh, what was it again? Every Everybody, please sing. Wait, everybody sing, please. That sounds pretty lovely. All right. Well, Wait, I keep doing it. Not, I've held this thing for uh, 35 years, and now I can't think it through. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. All right. We're going to move to the news, everybody. That was great. As we wrapped up the churches, we'll be moving into Revelation chapter 4 next week. Um, so, Steve, in the news, um, you sent me this great article, Israel's Tourism Ministry to Invest 340 Million Shekels uh, that's almost about $100 million in tourism infrastructure. So, Steve, take it away. Well, uh, this caught my eye, Chris. came from the Jerusalem Post, and you're, of course, going to send a link to those who access this um, so that they could read it themselves. It encouraged me because, uh, Chris, Friends of Israel, we run two tour trips out of the United States. We have two service trips mm-hmm. uh, that we run out of the United States. We have a Canadian trip. We have Polish trips. Uh, Friends of Israel is all about going to Israel. And one of the things that if you lead a trip to Israel, you've done that, I've done that, the first thing you care about are the people that are coming with you. You're the shepherd, Mm -hmm. and the shepherd wants to take care of his flock. And having a bad experience in Israel or anywhere you're touring, just it, it, it stays with you because you spent a certain amount of money, you have an expectation. So the reason this caught me, Israel knows that. That encourages me. And they're going to spend a lot of money, and they do it frequently to update things, to make things better, to give the person who comes on a tour an experience where they'll come back and say, not only was I in the land of the Bible, I walked where Jesus walked. We tell people that, and it's true, 2,000-year-old roads, the Cardo in various places, uh, the Temple Mount, the Southern Wall, the steps—that's true. But you know, you gotta you gotta eat, you gotta sleep, you gotta walk around. Oh, and you're moving with anywhere from ten to thirty, fifty people, even more. You know, depending it, on one of the most important things we tell people at the very beginning. And this is—it's funny, but it's true. Never meet a bathroom you don't stop in. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> no matter what, if we're by the bathroom, we'll stop and go because you never know when you'll have another that's one. That's exactly right, because the tour guide knows exactly where the bathrooms are, where we're going. He says, that's where you need to be. You know, Steve, this is really good that they're doing this. And you, you've you been doing trips to Israel for 30-plus years now, well, right? I, I, I went on my first trip in 1982. And yeah. then I didn't go until the 90s, and I went just about every year as a co-leader. So I was with, born in 1982, so you've been going for 40 years. Yeah, that's that's about it. That's about it. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't go every year. I haven't had that privilege. Usually the executive director goes every year, but I've gone a lot. And it's important to have these things. So when I saw this article, the kinds of things, that, lighting, uh, uh, little ramps, uh, uh, light shows, uh, mm-hmm. So that when you're walking, you're not paying for some of the, just the experience of, say, it's Jerusalem, or you're in Tel Aviv, or you're up in the Galilee. These are things that make the visiting Israel enjoyable. Yeah. And they're willing to invest. Any business person will tell you, if you don't invest, home ownership. People who own homes know they've got to make their place better, uh, not just as an investment, uh, not just for their own comfort, 
but for the future sale of their home. But you, it's you know, the first time you went was forty years ago, and I'm pretty confident they have been doing a lot of updating oh, yeah. since it's, the 1980s. It, Chris, you, know, the you early don't have 80s. to go four decades. I've I've been with people. Well, the first gap I I remember 1982 to 1990, eight years. Oh yeah, incredible differences. People, and then it moves faster. Do you know, Chris? There right now in Jerusalem to Tel Aviv, there's a train. There's a train. That's but huge. that train hasn't been there decades. It's been there what? A couple of years. years? No, less than that. It opened up like two years. They, it took them like twenty years to make. Maybe that's it. I kept seeing the track. Yep. But uh, I haven't been on that train. But it's and they're talking about continually doing things to make uh, tourism more comfortable. Yep. That to me is an encouragement. But. There's a danger in that, Chris. We, we talked you and I about talked this. about right, this. this. Is... What's the, you, you know, I, I we don't live very far from Gettysburg, you and I. Mm -hmm. Not very. It's about two hour drive, two and a half hour drive. Uh, McDonald's has wanted to put a restaurant in that area in Gettysburg. Really? Oh, for and they've been voted out. And to be <laughs> honest, I agree with that. There's a certain Reverence. limitation yep. that you should place on certain places. Mm -hmm. uh, just out of respect. And so, but there's some talk in Jerusalem about doing some things that you and I would probably say, I, I understand they ought to think about what they're doing. Why don't you talk about that? A couple of weeks ago, I was in Jerusalem for the Christian Media Summit. And so one of the little uh, um, trips that we went on uh, was to the new steps that they've uncovered and that are underground, the Roman steps that connect the Temple Mount to the Pool of Siloam. And it's an amazing experience, and they gave us a tour of it and all this. And so in the middle of giving the tour of this new site, um, the, the, the tour guide goes, oh, it's going to be fan In a couple of years, we're going to build a multi-story welcome center right here, uh, right next to where the cast David's castle was. And then there's going to be a tram car that takes you from... From from the Mount of Olives all the way over to to uh, um, to, to this area, and they showed a rendering of it, and I'm going, oh my goodness, it looks like a looks like Disney World, you know, and they're all excited about it, and you know, people, you, you it was funny the the look on the people's faces with the group I was with was like, I don't know if I like this, and of course we start speaking up, I don't know if we like you know the tram car, what's this? He goes, here's a problem we have is we're getting more tourists than ever. Where are we going to put all the buses in this tiny ancient city? Where are we going to put the buses for people to come and get it? The tram cars designed. People have to live in Jerusalem, he said. We can't be occupying. It can't be a tourist city only. People so live here. There's a balance. Oh, and it's, it's hard. But this was an encouragement to me to see trying to make things better for the tourist uh, of today. The, the second one. Chris has to do with tourists too. Yeah, but a little uh, bit different. Yeah, we're on the tourist theme. Yeah, but, we're on the we're on the tour bus right uh, now. <laughs> but this is not good uh, at all. Uh, this comes from Israel three sixty five. Christian tourists at the Temple Mount forced by Wake to wear humiliating yellow garment. Waqf the Wake is the uh, imam, the leadership of the temple. It's Chris. Even before we do this, it's important to explain. Israel was, uh, by United Nations, declared a nation. Five nations attacked them when they had no army, navy, air force, and Israel won. There have been other wars. Israel is a country. They are a recognized country, and they determine what they want to do. Uh, the Six-Day War came. 
Before that, there was a divided Jerusalem. The Temple Mount was in Jordan. Jordan attacked them. They attacked. Israel counterattacked, captured it, united the city. Israel has overship of its country, mm-hmm. except that within two days of uniting Jerusalem, the government in Israel, for a lot of good reasons, yeah. they, they had to make political decisions, said, you know what? We believe that every religious site should be controlled by the, the religion religious that group. runs it. Right. And so they turned the top of the Temple Mount. Everything under belongs to Israel, but everything at the top belongs to the Muslims, the imam. And so if you're going to go to the Temple Mount, maybe some of our listeners have experienced. I've been up there a few times, mm-hmm. but I've been to Jerusalem where it's closed. Israel doesn't close it. They close yeah. it. And so they control it. And now, Technically, it's the Jorda- the, the, the WAQF that you're talking about, the W-A-Q-F. It's hard to get that Q-F in yeah. there. They're the ones who control it, but that's like a trust that comes from Jordan. So te- technically, it's Jordan's way of having like a little bit of a—they gave over the West Bank. And in fact, you know, Israel, they didn't want it back for peace. Jordan didn't want the West Bank back for peace, but they did want that little fingerprint right on top of the Temple Mount. So that's And what they've this controlled is. it, and— now, according to this article, people who come up there are going to have to wear yellow. Well, certain people. Certain people. That's correct. That's correct. Uh, Christian tourists visiting the Temple Mount have been forced by the Jerusalem Islamic Wake to wear garments adorned with bright yellow stripes. Uh, some Israeli tour guys have denounced, have denounced. The choice of color does not appear to be coincidence. As in the past, and then it's all blurted out for me, so read the rest, because uh, it's a bad print job as far as uh, me reading it. Yeah, it says that, uh, um, uh, I'm trying to see where you picked up here. The choice of colors does not appear to be coincidence, as in the past yellow garments symbolized non-Muslims diminished status in the world of Islam. The WAP is a Jordanian entity that has custodial status at Jerusalem's holy sites. And it goes on talking about the importance of how they have control over that. Non-Muslims, including Jews, can visit the compound where the Holy Temple of Jerusalem used to stand only under severe restrictions. And it's true, because I remember when I was more naive and I went up there and and, and my wife Karen was with me, we, you know, we were newlyweds and we were, uh, and we still hold hands. I, I'm just saying we were holding hands all the time, you know? Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. holding hands up on top of the Temple Mount and some guy comes with a stick and whacks our hand and says, nope, you can't do that. Can't hold hands on the Temple Mount. And so, of course, we they knew that we weren't um, uh, uh, Muslim at all. So, Well, there was a Norwegian pastor who said he preferred to remain anonymous. He was leading 35 Christian tourists to visit Israel, and he arrived a week ahead, and the group prepared for the trip, and he ascended to the Temple Mount with three Christian women. When they arrived, representatives of the wake approached the group, instructed them to wear special garments they provided. The long brown garments covered their entire body, and they were required by the wake to wear a large head covering. The garments had a prominent yellow stripe running down the sides. The pastor explained that he had visited Israel dozens of times and ascended the Temple Mount several times in the past. This was the first time he'd been required to wear the strange garb. He added that the women felt humiliated. Let's be honest here, Chris. It's fair to honor 
a religion other than your own. If you go to the temple, I mean, if you go to the Western Wall, and we go there all the time, it's accessible by any for anyone. Mm-hmm. You have to go through a metal detector and all that. But if as long as you're able to go through, they don't ask what religion you are. They don't. Nope. But if you're a male, uh, you've got to go to one side of that wall. And if you're going to go, you should put on, we instruct our, our people, put on a yarmulke. They're made out of cardboard. If you have your own, yep, many you of can our, get them right there. They're so free. They provide them for them. That's one thing. That's respect. So all the men, Jewish men, Gentile men, wear it. If you're a woman, they tell you don't go on this side. You got to go on this side. Mm-hmm. It's part of the same wall, but there's a division because within Orthodox Judaism, there's a law that says the the men have to be separate from the women as they worship. And all Christian. Muslim and Jewish sites that are that are holy in, in Israel in Jerusalem, it, you often have to wear. You have to cover your shoulders. It's modest garb. We tell our women that they should wear some sort of skirt, mm-hmm. uh, and that some places, even many of the Catholic places, you're supposed to have your sleeves lower than your elbow. Oh, that's right. For what, anybody, does for, it male or it, female? It, yeah, and that, and not just it's not just Catholics or non. It's everybody, and so I don't think anybody has a problem with that. This is selecting a specific color yep. because in the past, that color uh, is denotes a negative thing, less than Islam. The col- so the color and the covering is meant just as these Christian women felt humiliated. Mm-hmm. The Catholics don't humiliate you when you go to their site. You just have to follow that rule. You don't have to wear a certain color. They don't, they don't inspect you. And that's the other thing. Even in those situations, the worst thing that might happen, you would never get whacked. Somebody might say, hey, you better go put a shirt on. Uh, we've actually experienced that as a group. Here, this is meant to elevate Islam and to, uh, to humiliate those that aren't. Mm-hmm. And it's a, pro- it's a, it's a problem. I'll, can I just say this uh, really quick? Uh, Mordecai Kadar. Oh, we, we know love, Mordecai. We love, yeah. He knows Friends of Israel. He's a senior lecturer on Arabic culture at Bar-Ilan University. Um, uh, he says this, the Waft is fighting two battles. They want to dominate the Jews and control the Temple Mount. They do this by actively abusing and confronting the Israelis in every way they can on all fronts. But at the same time, they are fighting a public relations propaganda battle. They want to present themselves to the world as a peace-loving, oppressed minority. So the WAF um, gives this distinctive clothing to tourists as a sign to their to their people not to attack or abuse them, which is interesting. So they're asking Christians to wear the yellow and if you notice it, it, the pictures they have in this article, the Jewish people who have kippahs on, they're not wearing it. They're walking around on the Temple Mount. They're not wearing it. Only Christians are wearing the yellow. And that's because Mordecai Kadar is saying, that's because they're saying, hey, you don't worry about them. We don't want to mistake the Christians for the Jews. You want to, you know, essentially saying you want to target the Jews. You don't want to target these Christians because we want to keep, a, a, you know, our, 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 our reputation, you know, as this oppressed minority. But really, it's the other way around. It's 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 a double edged sword. Dub- yeah, exactly. And, and it's a double standard, and it, all of it. It's it, really bad. Where's the UN? Where's it, the UN? I mean, if Israel did this at the Western Wall, I think the UN would go crazy. That is the question. Where is the UN? United nothing. That's what Israel. <laughs> that's honestly, 
I, I cannot tell you how many Israelis, whenever they hear, uh, when I've been with guides and I'm talking to our group, the United Nations did this. Oh, you mean the United Nothing? That's exactly, <laughs> especially for Israel, because it's a double uh, standard. Always. All right. First of all, before uh, we get to our, here we go, because I got to get myself set up here because Steve gave me this Yiddish word. Here we go, everybody. Yiddish oh, word of the day. Chris, I will. Tell me the story. Tell me the I story. I got to tell you the story. Last night, I was talking to my mother. Uh, my mother is Blanche. Not, uh, Blanche is my mother, 98 years old, 99, Lord willing, in March. Amazing. She'll be 99. And uh, we were talking politically. And this program is not a political program. We do news, we do the Bible. And if something comes up like that, okay. So, but I was talking about the recent uh, uh, discovery of President Biden's uh, top uh, secret stuff when he was vice president being found. And so my sister and I were talking about it. I said, oh, President Trump had that problem. And now President Biden mm -hmm. has that problem. And so I said, I don't know how they're going to handle it. So my mother yells out, Dre their own cup. <laughs> and I start, She my, came in out of nowhere, too, right? Well, I was on a speakerphone. So <laughs> Dre cup is an actual Yiddish word. It, it actually has the idea of a spinning head of nonsensical talk. Mm -hmm. Uh it makes no sense. Drake up. Uh, it, Drake up. Drake up. Uh, so you could say Drake up is a nonsense speaker. Dre your own cup means let them continue to talk nothingness and to eternity. <laughs> and so when my mother said Dre their own cup, I said, Mom, Mom, you just gave me the Yiddish word of the week for our podcast. I said, I'm going to quote you. You're going to be famous. All six people will know Drake Up from my mother. And she is laughing her head off. <laughs> she said, that's right, Drake Up, Steve, right? <laughs> spinning your head off. Spin, spinning talk. That's my mother. That's our word of the week. Hey, Drake Up. Thank you, Blanche. Hey, really quick. Here's some examples, Steve, that we found that you and I were laughing at earlier. Uh, uh, let's see. So remember, it means spinning, spinning, talking, making no sense. It says that Drake cup went on for a half hour. I couldn't understand a word that he said. <laughs> uh, here's another one. Enough already. That uh, go Dre somebody else's cup. All right. Here's another face. I wouldn't buy a used car from that Drake cup. <laughs> one more. Here we go. Why can't I meet a nice man? I, why can't I meet a nice man? I'd rather be single than with a Drake. Cup. <laughs> All That's right. our Yiddish word. Yiddish word of the day, everybody. Thanks, Mom. Thank you, Blanche. Appreciate it. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining the Jew and Gentile podcast. It's been a good one. Hey, Blanche, thank you for Drake Cup. Thanks, Mom. I will tell you this right now. You are not a Drake Cup, Blanche, at, at all. You are fantastic. Thank you so much. Hey, everybody, be sure to check in on our FOI Equip class tonight with Dan Price for the Tabernacle. Be there. You'll learn so much. I know it. You can still register by going to foiequip.org. Thank you so much for being with us. We'll see you next week.